Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. I was just happy that we got to be here and kind of have a little bit more of a sense of normal. Um, no earthquakes today so far, so we're, we're doing good there. <laughs> And so today we're going to be starting on a new teaching series that, that I'm, I'm equal parts excited and terrified to be working through. Um, we're going to call this series The Road Less Traveled, a journey through God's Word. And so if we're all being honest, we've all had those times where we're, we're reading to the Bible and we come to, to that place, right? Um, we come to, to that place, and, and, and there are a lot of those places that exist in the Bible. When we come to those places, I'm talking about the places where, where we do one of two things. We either become world record speed readers and get through the section of the Bible that, that we're, we're at as quickly as humanly possible, or... We, we read through the, the text line by line, determined not to be that person that, that skips through it. And we, we gut it out and, and we get to the end with really nothing more to show for it than the bragging rights that we made it through. <laughs> and not really having any clear idea of what it was that we just read, why we just read it, what did God have for me in that moment. What do we know? We know that there are a finite number of pages that were, were allocated to the Bible, right? There, there is a, a limited amount of space, page numbers, words, sentences, paragraphs, and chapters that are in the Bible. That, that's a set amount. I'm pretty sure that God isn't going to waste pages of the Bible on something that I don't need to pay attention to. So, for our journey on the, the road less traveled, we're going to go through each of those places. Um, at least the, the ones that come to mind for me. I'm sure you guys probably have others. So that we can see just how precious, just how important those particular parts of Scripture actually are. This morning, we're going to be looking at an entire book of the Bible that can sometimes be, be tough. That can sometimes be tricky. Um, we're going to be looking at the book of Leviticus today. Greg, I was going to maybe have you fill in next week, if that's okay. <laughs> so as you hear this, you kind of hear some chuckles, and, and maybe some of you are like, I don't get it. Like, what's, what's the joke? Um, if you've gone through the book of Leviticus before, if you've read through the book of Leviticus, it's heavy. The book of Leviticus has a lot of stuff in there that, that you, you start asking that question of, how is this relevant to me today? What, what does this have to do with me today? Why am I needing to be reading this? <laughs> do I need to know about bodily discharge and how I'm supposed to handle it? Yeah, I went there. Do we need to know about like, how to handle mildew? Like, are we sure that this is the, the focus that you want to be hitting, Matt? Yes. <laughs> Come with me. <laughs> just, just come with me, okay? I promise this will not be a waste of time. 
So as we begin our book through the, our, our trek through the, the book of Leviticus, some of you might be excited, like, okay, let's, let's see what he makes up from this. Um, but maybe some of us are, are kind of approaching this a little skeptically. Like, really? I, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to work out so good. The last time that you tried reading the Bible... Maybe you started a Bible reading guide and, and maybe you started at the beginning and you started working your way through the book of Genesis. You're like, I can get behind the book of Genesis. This is kind of an interesting story. This, this explains some things. This is really, really cool to kind of see how all of this comes about. It's, it's exciting. There's, there's battles that are taking place. I mean, there, there's some good stuff that's happening in the book of Genesis. And then we, you come to the book of Exodus. You're like, man, there's like, we're crossing the Red Sea. There's more battles. I mean, hey, this is, we can get behind this as well. And there, there's a little bit of the law that we see that starts coming out. Then all of a sudden you land in Leviticus and your Bible reading journey all of a sudden comes to a screeching halt. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many people's reading devotional schedules have come to a fiery dead end in the book of Leviticus. Nobody here, I'm sure. Um, Leviticus has a lot of codes, has a lot of regulations, it has rules, it has loads of things that we probably don't grasp, that we don't understand. It's, it's different are we really going to show up here this morning and say that the book of Leviticus is relevant to me today? Like, is that really the, the assertion that we're going to make? And there's, there's some weird stuff that happens in the book of Leviticus, like we talked about, especially if you're new to studying the Bible. There's all that talk about the different kinds of offerings that you're supposed to bring in. Are you supposed to bring a grain offering first, or do you do an oil offering, or when do you do the burnt sacrifice When's all that supposed to do? Why are there so many different rules for priests? If I'm not a priest, why do I need to read this and know about all the stuff that's important for priests? You're not sure why crickets are okay to eat, but lizards aren't okay to eat? The text doesn't really tell you why one's okay. It does tell you how to identify one, though. It tells you how many joints to count. It tells you whether an insect is edible or not. So, I mean, that's good to know. There's this long list of things that you might find maybe a little too obvious. You're not supposed to eat a mouse. You're not supposed to eat a chameleon. But this stuff is taking up important real estate in the Bible. Important pages of God's holy inspired scripture are going to communicating these specific things. Things like don't eat a gecko. What are we supposed to do with that? And if you pause there at your daily devotional time and you have read through the book of Leviticus or a portion, how do you live in response to a verse that tells you it's okay to eat grasshoppers? Like, what are you supposed to take from that into your daily life? And I know this sounds like I'm kind of like belittling scripture and I don't want it to, to be that way. And it's not that way. And you're going to see in a moment. But, but it's important because you probably have been there where you're reading through a part of scripture like that, and you're like, what am I supposed to take from this? It tells you don't shave your beard. It tells you don't get tattoos. It tells you all of these different things that we're not supposed to do. And what's more is that those laws are right next to other laws that you say, well, yeah, that's probably a really good idea. Those laws that tell us what we're supposed to eat and not supposed to eat, what the Israelite people were supposed to eat and not eat, are right next to things like, you're supposed to love your neighbor. 
Yeah, we, we could probably all get on board with that. We're supposed to love our neighbor. It also says, you're probably not supposed to kill your neighbor either. Okay, yeah, we can, we can get on board with that one too. And so, what are we supposed to do when we look at this and say, well, what's applicable and what's not applicable? Do we just start like cherry-picking certain things out of the Scripture and say, well, yeah, this one makes sense, but I think I'm going to pass on the grasshoppers things. Over the years, people have been a little bit confused as to how we categorize these things. What's appropriate? What, how do we approach this? And there's this, maybe a, a popular approach, saying that we divide this uh, into maybe three different groups, where we have civil laws, we have ceremonial laws, and we have moral laws. So we have these three different sections. And the civil laws talk about how people of Israel should, should act as a nation. The ceremonial laws cover like the priestly stuff, like what a priest is supposed to wear, what, what they're allowed to touch, all that kind of stuff. The tabernacle and, and all of those things. And then there's the moral laws, like the love your neighbor and don't kill him and all that sort of thing. And those three distinctions were used to say that, okay, you know, the moral law, yeah, that, that's still something we need to focus on today, but maybe we don't need to worry so much about the civil and the uh, ceremonial stuff, because that was maybe more related to what was happening for the Israelites in that time. But, but wait a minute, that, that doesn't hold up well. First of all, the Bible never draws a distinction between those. That's just something that we're making up. So that's maybe problematic. And sometimes it's hard to tell which one's civil and which one's something else. Is it civil to murder somebody or is it moral to murder somebody? Like, where, which category does that fall under? Does it count? Right? And so you start wondering that. Where does that line lie? It's hard to discern what specific laws fit into which specific category. Nobody tagged them. Nobody made a note. So now people are just kind of making it up as we go along. And then we run into problems with scriptures like 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 that says all scripture is God-breathed and profitable. It didn't say except for the stuff about the geckos. It didn't. So somehow that verse about not eating the lizards is profitable to you. All scripture is God-breathed, not just for the original reader, not just for the people of Israel, but to New Testament readers, which is Paul's conversation that he's having. I mean, he's, he's talking to the New Testament church. So what? We need to figure out what to do with the book of Leviticus. How are we supposed to approach this? We don't want to divide them in a way where we only take the stuff that we feel like still applies. We need to figure out how to respond in those situations for all of this book of Scripture. Because if we start cherry-picking then we get into those conversations where we become hypocrites. Where it's, how, how is it possible that, that you're trying to apply this rule to my life, says the person outside that we're having a conversation with, when you're not applying any of the stuff that actually applies to you? How does that work? So we see that these laws are supposed to be relevant. Our problem is, we're not really sure how. And so I think the first thing that we need to focus on is the context of Leviticus. We're going to begin with the first verse to orient us as to how we should approach this book. 
to try to address some of the confusion. But first, we need to understand where we are. Where are we when this book comes about? Not only does Leviticus follow the book of Exodus in the Bible, but it also follows the book of Exodus chronologically. So, the book of Exodus has just happened, and now Leviticus is given to us in the light of the people of Israel coming into their own, coming into the promises that God has for them. And so how does it start? The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. That's what it says. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The book of Leviticus is about how God is going to relate to these people from this tent. Like, that's almost the easiest way that I can explain that book in a sentence. It's how God is planning to relate to these people from this tent, this tabernacle that that he has instructed them on how to build. And if you look at the book of Exodus, that tent or that tabernacle was God setting up his dwelling place amongst his people. In Genesis, God's people were with God in the garden, right? At the very beginning. But they sinned. And because he sinned, he removed them from the garden. And in removing them from the garden, he was saying, you can't be in my presence. You can't be in my holy place because there's now sin. You made this choice and you chose to separate yourself from me. But now in Exodus, God says that he's going to come over into his people's place. So you can't be in God's place anymore, but God's going to come into your place. He's going to come and be with you. Because he's the missionary God. He's the God who who goes. He takes the initiative. He establishes a relationship with them, even though they made a choice and, and alienated themselves from God. He says, I love you. I want the best for you. The tent is God's mission, is his mission to establish relationship with a people that were estranged. And so the book of Leviticus picks up on that idea of the tent where God establishes himself, and it's God telling Moses, I'm here. I'm here to dwell with the people that are not able to have me. A people that don't deserve me, I'm still choosing to be with them. For this relationship to work, there's going to have to be some rules. I'm not going to hang out here in this tent while you all do whatever you want. The relationship has guidelines. There's parameters that have to be followed in order for you to have the privilege of being with me. And so we find ourselves looking at the entire rest of the book of Leviticus is explaining what those regulations are in order for a people to be able to be with a God who's with, chosen to be with them. The context is, is God establishing relationship with his people. The first word of the verse in, in Hebrew is ca- called. If we, you look at, at the, the translation in Hebrew, the first word in verse 1 is called. And he called out. God called out to Moses. What is God communicating? 
and it's it's this calling that's happening that this entire book of Leviticus is about. It's, it's the calling out to Moses, and not just to Moses, to all of God's people, that this book is about. God has called Moses, and then he explains the regulations and the rules. He's calling his people to live a regulated life. He's calling his people to live according to rules, to be rule keepers. Because you can't think that whatever feels good to you in the moment is okay with God. Like, that, that's not going to work. Regulation is needed for God to dwell amongst his people. If you go to the book of Leviticus for quick tips on how to live an energized life, if you go to the book of Leviticus to get the, the next hottest thing that, that you need to do to make yourself successful, you're going to be disappointed. That's not what this is about. The purpose of Leviticus is to get us to live a God-centered life versus a me-centered life. So if we approach the book of Leviticus with a question that says, how am I relevant to God? That's, that's different. It doesn't mean that I don't matter. It doesn't mean that I'm not important. Uh, Of course I'm important to God's plan. He wouldn't be tenting it out with his people if he didn't love them, if he didn't care for them. If the relationship that he had with his people wasn't important to him. But the relationship is important to him. What's important to note is that we're not the center of the relationship. God is the center of the relationship. We're not. So when I read a verse about shaving beards, or I read a verse about how wide or long the tabernacle is supposed to be in Exodus, I see it as irrelevant. But that's my problem. That's not God's problem. When I start looking at things and say, yeah, but how does this apply to me? That's the problem. It's not a matter of how this applies to me. If I don't see how Leviticus is relevant because all I care about is what's in front of me right now, what's, what I'm dealing with today, what's on my calendar, my goals, my cares, then I'd probably better leave Leviticus on the shelf because that's not really what this is about at all. What we have to come to realize when we're going to study a book like this is that This isn't about me at all. This is about God. For Leviticus to be important to me, I have to ask, what does God want to communicate to me? Does it have abiding relevance? I have a a friend, Steve Darnell. Greg, you know Steve. I've started taking bets with people when I hear Steve talk in front of a a church crowd as to whether or not he's going to talk about abiding. Uh, Because he always, always, always talks about abiding with Christ. And, and no matter what the topic is, it comes back to that. Because he recognizes that as long as that's the focus of his life, as long as that's the focus uh, of how he acts as a follower and believer of Jesus, that's enough. As long as he's abiding in Christ, everything else will come. 
And so the question for us as we look at a book that sometimes feels a little irrelevant, that sometimes seems a little out of touch, like Leviticus, we ask, what can we see from here? What does God want to communicate to me that has abiding relevance? I'm to come to this book on God's terms, not on my terms. And maybe I shouldn't just put it on the shelf because I'm not understanding how it is relevant to me, how I can squeeze my own relevance out of it. Maybe this is a book where I need to sit down, I need to linger, and maybe wait for just a moment to get whatever deep truth that God has for me. Jeff, how long have you been going through the book of Timothy? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes there's value that comes from staying in one place, of taking time to understand what it is that God has for you in that moment. And parents come to realize that there are some things that you can communicate to your kids while you're driving down the road with music playing, with them looking at their iPad, you just share it and and you move on. But there are also some things where you need to pull the car over and you need to get in front of them and have a conversation to make sure that it is understood. Maybe? Yeah? (laughs) And so the implication is this. What I'm... The implication is that what I am like needs to be what God is like. And Leviticus is a window into who God is. What does God like? What does God not like? What does he hate? What does he love? What will he not tolerate? What makes him clap and say, yeah, go do that again? What makes him say, no, stop doing that? How do we know? How do you know what God likes and what God doesn't like? You have to know what his rules are. God's rules tell us what God is like. If you invited me over to your house and I walked in and asked, hey, what are the top ten rules of this house? Or if somebody maybe asked your kids, what what are the, the top five rules right off the top of your head that your mom and dad say to you over and over and over again? There are either the rules that most reflect what mom and dad are going to emphasize or they're the rules that most reflect what the kids tend to ignore, right? (laughs) Because those are the rules that have to be repeated over and over and over again. Those are the top rules that they're going to remember, but it's generally going to be one of those two things. Rules reflect the rule maker's attitude, the rule maker's thoughts, and things that the rule maker favors. Rules reflect the misalignment that we tend to have and the corrections that we constantly need. So, here's an interesting thought. There probably wouldn't have been a rule about geckos and grasshoppers unless there needed to be one. If God was looking at us like, you guys are going sideways with this whole lizard thing. We need to fix that. And so he creates this rule. God's laws reflect what God wants, what he desires, what he does not want, what he does not favor, 
which is a reflection of probably where we tend to to stray, where we tend to to go off course. Leviticus reveals that that God is a, a certain kind of God. It gives us little bit of insight into uh, Exodus 20. We, we know the Ten Commandments, right? The, the first one is that there, there's no other God, right? There's just one. And then the second commandment is that we're not supposed to make any idols. And one thing that's, that's interesting about the second commandment is you're not even supposed to make an image of God. You're, it's not that you're just not supposed to like, make other idols of other gods in, in foreign countries. You're not even supposed to make an image of God, which is a different commandment than don't worship any other gods, right? What's God saying? God's saying, I'm not a calf. I'm not a frog. I'm not a pole. I'm not a flag. Don't try to illustrate me. Don't try to dumb me down into a picture and make me into what you want me to look like. That's what God's saying. God says, I am. I am. I spoke myself into existence. I am. No representations will suffice. They will always be misrepresentations of who I am. And so what we get from Leviticus is God shaping our minds, telling us what and who God looks like. Since we're not allowed to shape him into what we want him to look like, God is is giving us a shape of who he looks like. He's giving us shape through his rules, through his regulations, through his desires. God is not coming up with these things on a whim. He's very serious about them. I mean, if you read through the book of Exodus, you see instances where people chose to not do the things that God commanded them to do. And and there were some serious repercussions that came from it. Forty years of wandering in a desert comes to mind. Snakes coming through and and biting people who disobeyed and and being killed. That comes to mind. There's all of these different things come to mind. God is serious about the things that he's commanding his people to do and not do. So rather than changing God into who we want him to be in the moment, we're supposed to let God be who he is And figure out how we're supposed to relate to who God is. God isn't going to change. I'm supposed to change. And thankfully, you don't have to get into the New Testament to discover that God is not only a vengeful God, that God isn't only an angry God, a, a, a angry God maybe isn't the correct term, that he's also a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He's, he's patient. He's long-suffering. How do we know that through the book of Leviticus? The fact that he's showing up in a tent hanging out with his people is how we know he is a God who loves his people. The fact that he knows that everyone is going to break the rules that he's giving right now, and he gives them anyway. He sets up a priesthood that is ultimately going to fail until Jesus. But he does it because he wants to establish the relationship. He is the initiator. We didn't beg him into it. If God didn't take the first step, there would be no steps. Abraham wasn't looking for God when when he got called. God plucked Abraham out of nowhere. And from the very beginning, 
one of the things that we see revealed about God is the order in which relationship is established. God rescues. And then he makes clear the requirement after the fact. It's not a, hey, see if you can get yourself together enough, and then I'm going to show up, and then I'm going to rescue you out of the situation. I'm going to have a use for you. No, I'm going to, to bring you into the, the promise that I have, and this is how you abide with me. God says, hey, I, I rescued you. I've chosen you. Here's my promise for you. I want you to go to this place that I'm not really going to tell you where it is yet. You just need to follow me. And Abraham says, okay, I'll follow you. And then at that point, God says, okay, here's the rules for how this is going to work. Relationship, then requirements. Rescue, then rules. That's always been the pattern. Grace precedes obedience. Sometimes I think in the church we get that backwards. Sometimes the relationships that we see here in the church, it, it's easy for us to look and say, yeah, you just need to do these things and then we'll be able to help. We'll be able to, to give grace it, it, once we see that there's some change that's happening in your life. That's not the model that we see in the book of Leviticus. That's not the model we see from God in general. First grace, then obedience. If you were to read the Bible from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Leviticus 1-1, you would see almost 70 chapters before you get to a single code of law. What do you have all the way up to Exodus 20 is where we see that law. A narrative where God is establishing his relationship with a people that has tried to step away from him. That's all it is. We often think of the Old Testament as a time when we needed rules in order to earn God. That, that God gave these rules so that they had some way to earn their way into heaven, into eternal life with him, so that they could have something that would hold them over until Jesus came. That wasn't the case. The rules were put in place for people already in relationship with God not for people that were outside of it. Rule-keeping was never about earning a relationship with God. Rule-keeping was a result of it. Because you are in relationship with me, this is what we need to do. And as you work through the book of Leviticus, we're going to say, there's a, a lot of rules in here. There's... A lot of talk of holiness here. Isn't that becoming legalistic? And it's not. Legalism is going around grace, saying, I don't need to worry about grace because there's something that I can do that will get me there. That's not the point of this at all. Grace doesn't produce, excuse me, the grace that doesn't produce obedience, that's, that's the cheap grace. God's grace frees us up to start living the way that he's called us to live. 
So are we all about rule-keeping then? Yeah, that, that's kind of an important part. There are some specific directions that God has given as to how we are to be living. And if there's a book in the Bible that's all about rules that God establishes, then maybe we should be interested in what that book has to say. an author, Christopher Wright. He says, when you read through the Old Testament, you discover that worship is primarily a response to God, not a negotiation. So as we read through the book of Leviticus, we will see this as a theme, this call to holiness. God is a certain way, and the way God is has implications for the way I'm supposed to be. So it's maybe a little bit less about what that specific rule is and how it applies to me today and more about how that rule applies to who God is today and what that means to me. You read Leviticus 19.2, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy... For I, the Lord your God, am holy. There it is. There is the pattern. I am a certain way, and so you should be a certain way. You need to live a certain way. Why? Because I am that. God is not inventing rules, saying, hey, this is just a super great bunch of loopholes that you guys need to start figuring out. Good luck. God's rules are a reflection of what he is like. And if you are going to be in relationship with him, you have to conform to him. He is not going to conform to you. He's not going to conform to me. This means that all of these rules are relevant. We need to take these rules into account. We need them to image who God is. We are becoming mirrors of who God is, right? That's, that's our call. We're called to be like Christ. We're supposed to be Christ in situations that, that maybe Christ hasn't been previously, right? And, and if you are in your workplace, you're called to be Christ in your workplace. If you're in your, your neighborhood, you're called to be Christ in your neighborhood. We're supposed to reflect who God is like, and how do you do that? By knowing what God's like. You have to know if you are going to reflect it, right? We cannot be that image on our own. And so Jesus came. He came to be the exact image of who God is. And he invites us into this relationship where little by little, we're made into Christ-reflecting mirrors, God-exalting mirrors into the, the areas of our life that we find ourselves. We're invited to partner with God in his mission on this earth. God is holy, and because God is holy, we're called to be holy. So I'm going to end us on a cliffhanger this morning. Let's be honest, there was no way I was going to get through the book of Leviticus in one day. Sorry, that was never going to happen. Um, this is not going to be a study on the entire book of Leviticus. I'm not going to take us chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through that entire book. The study is going to cover 
and give us a better understanding of why these areas of Scripture exist in the first place. Why is this here? Is there a reason for this to be here? And how am I, as somebody living in 2023, supposed to approach what this stuff says today? And, you know, we may come out of this and there, you may have more questions than answers. <laughs> and, and that's okay. And if that's the case, come see me. Let's have a conversation. I, I, my goal here is for us to have a better understanding of, of God's Word. And recognizing that there are reasons that these scriptures exist. There's a reason that this is here for us. And, and maybe there's more that we can get out of the Bible than what we had when we got here this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Your word that is completely relevant, that is completely applicable to our lives, God. And, and we come here this morning setting aside any desire we have to conform you to us, God, and instead make ourselves available to be conformed to you. God, we want to take the shape of you. We want to reflect who you are into our lives to those that we come in contact with so that those with other people would see us and recognize that there's a difference. There is something that they need, something that they want that is different with me than anything else that they have experienced. And I can say it's not anything to do with me, but everything to do with Jesus. God, we want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 